Here we are the scriptures. Let's dive into this this morning. Throughout the book of James, really in every chapter thus far, we've seen this call by the Lord as the Holy Spirit moved upon James, the half-brother of Jesus, to be doers of the word, as this call to action. Notice James 1, 22 through 25. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. And notice three times we see doers, doer. We see doer again and does. The Lord's called us not to be a people who just know the word of God, but a people going out and acting on the word of God. We come to James chapter 2. And again, right along the same lines, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And notice he doesn't say by my words, but by my works. Now words are part of our works, but absolutely, it's a call to do. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And it's really that, that understanding that if I have real faith in the Lord, it's going to be seen in my life. There's going to be evidence that I have real faith. It's not a call to say I need to go out to work to prove my faith, but absolutely if we have faith, it's going to be seen in the byproduct of our lives walking in the light of Jesus Christ. So it's that call to go out and to walk in the newness of life in Christ to be about the business of the Lord. And then in James 3.18, again, at the end of the chapter, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And we see a few action words here, sowing and making. You know, driving up to King City this weekend, I mean, you see fields all over that have been farmed and crops and so forth. Those things didn't happen on their own. Those fields were cleared and then they were plowed and there's varmints driven away and then the seed is sown in those fields and then it's harvest. That doesn't just happen on its own. And it's a call to us to be sowing. It's a call to us to be doing, to be about the business of the Lord. And then notice this morning in our text, James 4, 17. It says, therefore, and we'll get to the therefore a little later. But he says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so now James is saying, listen, not only is God calling you to be a doer of the word, to do what is good, but you need to know if you just want to stand here in the neutral zone, you are in sin. God's called us to be active. God's called us to be about his business. God has not called us to bury our gifts, but to go out and to use them. And to say no to that, to refuse that, is being in a place of sin. Now listen, to those that are really born again, that have asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior... It's not a sin that will condemn them. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We know the thing that saves us is not our doing, but it's what Jesus has done for us. We know our sin separates us from God Almighty. We are under the wrath of God. And justly we're under the wrath of God because He's a holy God. And He will not commune with sin. He made man in a sinless state, but man chose to sin. Man chose to go his own way and brought Again, a sin nature to mankind, and all of us have walked in that sin nature and transgressed the laws of God. 
We can't save ourselves. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't build that bridge that we destroyed in our rebellion. But praise God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. We're going to talk about that this morning. That Jesus Christ's sinless life wasn't just in what he didn't do, but in what he did. And part of what he did was he went to the cross of Calvary. And a sinless man died for a world of sinners. The wrath through us was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ to satisfy the wrath of the Father. He was buried in the grave. Three days later, he resurrected. He defeated sin, death, and, sin, death, and Satan, our enemies. That if any will put their faith in Jesus Christ, put their trust in him, they will receive that forgiveness. They will be redeemed from their sin. And indeed, this morning, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone, by his word alone. And that's the only thing that saves us, what the Lord has done for us and us anchoring our faith in him. So listen, to the believer... This is not a sin leading to death. It's not a sin that will condemn us. Though if there's no works, you really need to check yourself to see if you have real faith. But absolutely, listen, if we are Christians that just say, well, I won't do what I'm not supposed to do, but I won't do what I'm supposed to do. It is a sin that will hinder your walk with the Lord. It is sin that will limit the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is a sin that will make you a lukewarm, non-effective, apathetic Christian that is just a bump on the log in the body of Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And we got to know this morning that abiding in Christ is more than just a strong devotional life. It is going out and it's acting on that devotional life. Abiding in Christ isn't saying, well, listen, I get up at 6.30, I jump in the shower, then I go spend my 10 minutes with Jesus, I abide in Him, and then I say, I'll see you tomorrow, Jesus, at 6.50. And now I go about my business. I'll refrain, you know, time to time in what I shouldn't do. But listen, I don't go do what I'm supposed to do, but I'm abiding in the Lord. We're not. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Part of abiding in the Lord is doing what he's called us to do. And hear this, this is good news. When we do what he's called us to do, he will empower us to do what he's called us to do. But when we don't, again, we're going to quench and grieve the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, James 4, 17. Therefore therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Now again... I really want to set this up and look at it from several different angles. So it's just ingrained in our hearts as we leave here today, this call to action. I think so oftentimes we associate our sin and even the sins of others, the sins of this world with the rebellious things that we do, with the breaking of God's commands. There's so many things the Lord says, thou shalt not, right? And listen, the Lord, when he says thou shalt not, is not saying that because he's a party pooper. He's not saying that to rain on our parade. He's saying that to protect us. It's the picture of a fence that's up and it says no trespassing, but right underneath it, it says hazardous material. If you go over this fence, you might grow a third eye. Right? So stay out of here. But how many times we just see the no trespassing sign and what does that do in the heart of rebellious man? It makes us want to trespass it, right? And we forget that it says hazardous material, death lies beyond this fence. And many times, listen, we're in a place where we associate sin with just the breaking of 
those commands, don't do this. And I think it's very easy in the culture that we're living today as Christians to look around and see such gross transgressions in our world of the breaking of those commandments, doing things that we are told not to do, that it's very easy to step back and start measuring our lives, our Christianity, our walk with the Lord by the world and the transgressions that they do and breaking those commands by saying, well, I don't do those things. So listen, I'm a pretty holy and righteous guy. I'm a pretty on fire Christian. I think that's a mistake. But again, it's very easy to do because in our culture, listen, there are so many gross sins that are not only practiced, but they're promoted, they're celebrated, and there's no shame in them. I think of Romans 1.28 down through 32. I think it's a description of the day we're living in today. It says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving death, listen to this, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And there's things that are done today that are done out of the open and bold. And the rights of gross sin is even defended, saying, look at how loving we are. And if you know God's word and you know how damaging these things are and how wrong they are, again, it's easy to step back and say, listen, I refrain from those things. I don't do those things. So listen, I'm doing pretty good. And praise God you don't do those things. Or if you do do those things, it's in the midst of a wrestling match to want to honor the Lord. It's not that you're willfully doing it, but it's that battle between the spirit and the flesh and you keep short accounts with God. That's good, but listen, that's not where it stops. Maybe you've heard that old phrase, I haven't heard in a long time. I know at one point it used to be, you know, more popular, but it went like this. I don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. I met my grandmother one time, my dad's mom, once in my life. And I was taken back by her because as she was catching up all the history over the last 20 or 30 years, however it been long since my dad had talked to her, and talking about all the different cousins and aunts and uncles and all the stuff, some people, some, many of them were violent criminals and whatnot. Oh man, some really horrific stuff. But the measurement was, well, they don't drink or smoke, so they're a good person. So if you don't do that, you're good. And then we have horrendousness over here. And this kind of struck me like, I'm a backslidden 10th grader at the time. And I'm thinking, I don't think you have any understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ or what makes anyone righteous or not. Not that I was in a place really to preach or any sermons. But again, kind of the mentality, I don't drink or chew or go with girls that do. And that shouldn't be the standard of whether we are obedient or not to God. Because let me ask you this. Do you pray for the salvation of those who do chew? And listen, this isn't a commentary on chewing. This is a commentary on the statement, okay? I think you know what I'm understanding, what I'm saying here, right? Do you pray for the salvation of those who do chew? Do you take the opportunity to share the gospel with the girls who chew too? (laughs) Are you helping to ground your brother in the word of God who drinks too much? 
And when day after day you see the same homeless man, do you ever share your lunch? No, I just don't do these things, but do you do? Do you do the things that you should do? Or do you just measure life by, I don't do these things? I don't go out and do, but I definitely don't do. I'm kind of here in the neutral zone. Well, you know what the neutral zone is called in the Bible? Lukewarmness. I'm not cold. I'm not hot. I'm right here where I like to be. Listen, where everything's the same day after day, where I don't rock the boat. And you know what the Lord says about being in that place? He says, I'm going to barf you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to hurl you, whatever you want to put there. I'm going to regurgitate you. Like, we just ate breakfast. Slow down. (laughs) We got to understand, listen, there's some sin that's easily seen. But there's a lot of hidden sin that eventually will be seen. And listen, that sin that comes from transgressing God's law where he says don't do these things oftentimes is easily seen but that sin that comes from not doing what he's called to do oftentimes is easily hidden first Timothy 5 24 some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment but those of some men follow later unless I know this firsthand if you live a life of deliberately breaking the commands of God of doing those things he says don't do Listen, it's hard to cover that up. You start wearing that on your sleeve. Sin brings forth sin. It's 11 and it gets harder and harder to hide. Plus the damage of it builds up more and more and more. If there's someone that's a habitual liar, they cover one lie with another and another. And if you live a life built on lies, eventually it's a house of cards that falls in, right? Eventually someone learns the truth. Hard to cover that for a long time. But again, those sins of not doing, that sin of non-action to the commands of God, that sin that says here, I'm going to stay in the neutral zone. I'm not going to rock the boat. I I think especially in the day we're living in, it goes easily unnoticed because we're in a day where so much of the modern church often wants to make Christianity as comfortable as possible for those in the pew, lest they be stretched, challenged, or offended, and never come back. And our church doesn't grow anymore. I got news for you today. The Bible says, all who desire to live in Christ, godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so many times we don't want to go do because we don't want to suffer. But let me tell you, when you go and do... Yes, there's a suffering there, but it's a fellowship with Jesus Christ, and there is none, nothing else like it, and there is a power of God that's found, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is found, and life is found when you get out of the neutral zone. That abundant life is found, and the enemy of our soul wants to rob us of that. He wants us to be an inept, impotent, unaffected church in the neutral zone basically just misrepresenting the Lord because we don't go out and do what he's called us to do. Listen to uh, 2 Timothy 3.1. We look at this often, and again, I think the first four verses, it's a pretty good picture of our culture today. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But then notice verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It's a description of the church in the last days. A form of godliness. The form of godliness, well, we don't do that stuff, but denying the power, we don't do what he's called us to do. We're here in the neutral zone. We're here in the lukewarm place. Because let me tell you, if you start doing what God has called you to do, some people are going to go, why are you doing that? And there's going to be a pressure to quit doing what God has called you to do because you know what you're doing? You're, uh oh, shouldn't have done that. You're rocking the boat. Quit rocking the boat. We don't want the boat rock. We want it to be on still waters. Don't rock the boat. Come on, what's wrong with you? I got to pick up the stuff that fell off the boat down here. That's all right. I can multitask. To illustrate this a bit more, and I want to come at it from some different angles here think about your own kids listen there are certain things that your kids are not supposed to do right and if they do those things they're not supposed to do there's a consequence well listen there's also things that your kids are supposed to do and if they don't do those things they're supposed to do there should be a consequence as well and in fact oftentimes not doing what they're supposed to do can be far worse than doing things that they're not supposed to do. I mean, what's worse if, you know, your kid's walking to school and he picks up a rock and he throws it? Now listen, if he's throwing it at a car or another kid's face or they're saying, we're stoning the infidel here, yeah, that's pretty bad. But listen, kids are prone to pick up rocks and throw them. I'm a grown man, I still like throwing rocks. But what's worse if they pick up and they throw a few rocks, something you said, don't throw rocks. Especially on your way to school, people are going to take note and what are they going to think about my parenting? What's worse if they throw a few rocks on the way to school or they don't show up for school that day? Doing something they shouldn't do versus not doing what they're called to do. What's worse that, let's say they do show up to school and while the teacher is giving them assignments and teaching them, instead of listening and doing those assignments, they're sitting there drawing the whole time. What's worse while your child's at school if they say something mean to another child or they don't say thank you when someone does something nice to them? Now listen, some of these might clearly be worse one way or another by man's standards, but at the minimum, all these things are wrong, right? And as parents, we're called to discipline that. If they do things they're not supposed to do, there's consequences. And if they don't do what they're supposed to do, there should be consequences, in a loving manner, a biblical manner, we correct them. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold correction from your child. For if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now listen, this is not advocating child abuse. This isn't talking about bloody in some kid's rear end. It's talking about correcting them. It's saying being stern when you punish them. Absolutely don't do it out of anger and misrepresent the Lord. But you need to lovingly correct them. Because listen, if you don't correct them, you know who will? The world, and they will bloody them. Because others aren't going to put up with that and tolerate that. You're trying to deliver them from a life of rebellion. 
And again, this is where some people say, well, that's not very loving. They're a free spirit. They should be able to do whatever they want. You're not loving your child if you don't correct them. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And again, it should be on both ends. If they're doing things they shouldn't do or not doing things they should do, you correct them. And I think that's an understanding. Well, listen, again, to him who knows the right knows to do good and does not do it to whom it's sin in our own lives listen when we get caught up in doing things we shouldn't do now again listen we're not talking about wrestling with things and wanting to honor the lord but when we get in those patterns i'm going to do these things i'm going to practice these things i'm going to make provision for these things god in his love corrects us and disciplines us right because it's one of the evidence that we're his kids don't think for a minute that that's the only time God's going to correct us. Because when I, we talk, start talking about the chastisement of the Lord, I start talking to people about it and so forth, it seems it always only revolves around when I was doing these things I shouldn't have been doing, so God chastised me. But you better believe, if we are not doing what He's called us to do, He's going to chastise us as well. And oftentimes that chastisement is a lack of the power of God. It is a fruitless life. It is discontentment. It's a lack of joy. It's a lack of long-suffering. It's a lack of self-control. It's a lack of love and so forth. He's going to correct us because He loves us. Doing what we shouldn't do and not doing what we should do, both of them are sin, and we need to know that and understand it and get into our hearts. Hebrews 12, 5. And if you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And don't think it's just when we do what we shouldn't do. It's also when we say, I'm not going to do what God's called me to do because I like the neutral zone here. I don't want to suffer for Christ. I like it right here. I don't want to rock the boat. Consider the life of Jesus Christ. Listen, he was tempted in every way and he didn't sin. We read those accounts in the gospel where he was led by the Spirit out to the wilderness to fast and pray and the enemy tempted him out there. He tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. We haven't been called to listen to the voice of the enemy. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he said, listen, man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he didn't do what he shouldn't have done. Then Satan took him to a high pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. They said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you these things. And once again, again, he didn't do that. He refrained from it. And then the enemy tempted him saying, you know what? Jump down from this pinnacle and the Lord God will give his angels charge over you. And he said, listen, it's a sin to tempt God. He refrained from it. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 says, he was in all ways, all points tempted as we are yet without sin. But listen, he wasn't just without sin because he didn't do what he shouldn't have done, but he was without sin because at every single turn and every single point, he did what the Father had called him to do, bar none. At every single turn, he did what the Father had for him and willed for him to do. And again, this includes when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, beginning to feel that pressure come upon him when he was going to go to the cross for us, Sweating blots of drops of blood. In Luke twenty two forty one, 41, it says, He was withdrawn 
from them a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying father if it's your will take this cup away from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done and absolutely it was the will of the father for the son of God to go and suffer for you and to suffer for me and listen that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ that we deserve the wrath of God and Jesus Christ took the wrath of God do us and when you leave that out of the gospel you got a false gospel and you got a false Jesus Christ side note this is why on Wednesday night I took Wednesday night to expose the shack because the writer of the shack says Jesus Christ did not die for your sins at the cross and the book says Jesus is not punished for our sins at the cross as well you better believe it's not just a little theologically off it is satanic because it tramples the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot it will damn souls to hell if non-believers read that and believe that it's okay one way or another i'll end up in heaven i can take my own road jesus isn't the only way he's just the best way jesus christ fulfilled the will of the father by not just again taking a beating at the hand of man but the wrath of almighty holy god was fulfilled in Jesus taking the wrath to us upon the cross. And you better believe that not only is God a God of love, but he is a God of justice. And I'll tell you this, if he's not a God of justice, he is not a God of love. Because if someone comes along and abducts, brutally rapes, and kills one of your children, and that predator goes before a judge, and the judge says, I'm a loving judge, you can go scot-free. You're going to say, that guy needs to be arrested and incarcerated right now. Put them out in the quad and let the uh, guards turn, the other, turn their back to it. Because that would be as criminal as the individual who did those things. And our God is no criminal. And on top of that, he sent his son to take the wrath to us, to give us a choice. Will I humble my heart and bend my knee to my maker? Or will I shake my fist at him and say, up yours, Jesus, all roads lead to God. It's good. Let's see, kumbaya, as we go down that wide gate into eternal destruction. And listen, that's why I take issue with things like that, because I don't want to see souls damned to hell. Jesus fulfilled the law at every turn. Listen, at every point he did the will of the Father. Again, I think often as we think about Jesus, he didn't do this, he didn't do that, he didn't fornicate, he never got high, he never lied, he never gossiped. But at every turn he did exactly what the Father had him to do. He said this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill at every single turn. And then listen, he taught us. He taught us to love others, not by not doing unto them what we wouldn't want done to us, right? He told us to love others. Luke 6, 31 Just as you want men to do to you, you also do likewise to them. Boy, that's taking a lot farther, right? A lot of times it's easy to be indifferent and say, well, listen, I'd like to do with this to them, but they're lucky I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to do that. You know, no, you're lucky you're a Christian. If you want to use the word lucky, I didn't find out in the Bible, but you know what I'm saying, right? They're lucky I'm a Christian. No, you have incredible grace that you're a Christian. But he says it's not just that, it's doing unto them what you would want done unto you. We get this incredible account of this in Luke 
10.30, then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went from Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a dangerous road. Fell among thieves, was stripped of his clothing, wounded, and departed, leaving him half dead. So listen, he got carjacked, and they took him out, and they beat him, and took everything that he had. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. I'm just going to pretend like he's not there. I won't do unto him, again, what I wouldn't want him to do to me. I won't go kick him in the face when he's down because I'm a Jew and we hate Samaritan's guts and Samaritans hate our guts. So I'm loving him and not going over there and kicking him in the face. Listen, it was that amplified a hundred times, the hatred between these two groups. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed on the other side. So listen, he did a little step farther. He went and he looked and maybe he said, listen, I'm going to show you love by not kicking you in the face while you're down here. Aren't I a loving guy? Actually, it was another Jew. I got that wrong. But still, they're not doing that to him. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will come again, I will repay you. So which of these days, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said, go and do likewise. He didn't say love your neighbor by not doing to them. Again, what you, want, what you wouldn't want done to you, but by doing to them what you would want done to you. And again, here is a Samaritan, an enemy of this Jew, and he doesn't just say, I'll love you by not kicking you, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do unto you. And listen, you got to understand, no doubt when Jesus shared that, it made everyone cringe because that was socially unacceptable. Remember Peter and John? There were some Samaritans that rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they said to the Lord, can we call fire down on them and kill them? That's how socially acceptable it was to hate Samaritans. They said to the Lord, let's make them crispy creatures, God. Creatures, God. In the name of Jesus, let's do it. And the Lord said, I didn't come to condemn men, but to save them. Men are already condemned, so he came to save us. He's like, they don't need to be condemned more. They already are. I came to save souls. And you better believe, listen, there's a lot of things the Bible's called us to do that's not socially acceptable. And that's why a lot of things that he's called us to do don't get done. The context here, the therefore, what came before this? Verse 13 of James 4, come now you say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. And then verse 15, instead you ought to say if the Lord wills, you shall live and do this and that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. And so again, if we just want to run around and make plans with the world and never bring in a Lord willing or have a heart that says, Lord willing, we don't want to bring the Lord into it. He says, that's a sinful thing. And listen, a lot of people don't do that. They don't want to mention the Lord because, oh boy, you said the name of Jesus. I'm having a meltdown over here. I am offended because you mentioned Jesus. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm going to stay in the neutral zone here. Woo-hoo, no suffering in the neutral zone. Don't want to get out and suffer a little for Jesus by 
tacking on a Lord willing here or there and mentioning the word of the, the name of the Lord. I want to be loving to my neighbor so I can't mention God or the Lord. I like it over here in the neutral zone. I don't want to suffer people not liking me. Meanwhile, brothers and sisters and other parts of the world are being beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ. But aren't we on fire, Western church? No, it's lukewarmness. Let's stay in the neutral zone. Let's stay in that, in between those Laodicean walls here. Neither hot, neither cold. Oh, by the way, Jesus Christ is on the outside, but we're in the neutral zone. Powerless, impotent, no spiritual unction, very little fruit, very little power in the world saying, boy, you look just like us. Yeah, we're trying to. We don't want to offend you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to be unashamed of the Lord, unashamed of the word of God. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And then 2 Timothy 1.80 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And again, once again, why are there so many people ashamed of the gospel? Why are there so many professing Christians ashamed of the truth? Because they know if they stand for the truth and they say something, they might suffer. And we don't want to suffer. We want to be here in the neutral zone. But listen, life is found in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And listen, can our suffering even begin to compare what he suffered for us? Last time I checked, no one's being crucified in the United States of America for faith in Jesus Christ. This little... Oh, don't say that. We don't like you. By a certain element. But at the same time, when you're bold for the Lord, there are people getting born again and saved and coming to faith in the Lord. So we're saying, it's okay, I'm not ashamed. How can I be ashamed of the gospel when Jesus publicly hung on the cross for all of my carousing and fornication and lusting and thiefing and lying and all the stuff that I did. He hung publicly for me and now I'm going to be ashamed of him in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation that I was saved out of? But again, the church today is neutral zone. Don't do anything that's socially unacceptable. You might be called unloving. Do you not love the person that led you to Jesus Christ? That prayed for you? That shared truth with you? that took a risk to say, listen, they might not like me, but they need to hear this. And again, in this area of discernment, we read there in Romans, they'll be undiscerning. We're called to discern things, to test things, and then to call things out. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Ephesians 5.10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. But boy, I tell you, if you want to start exposing false teaching, false doctrine, boy, boy, that sure upset a lot of people. And sadly, I think it upsets more people that want to be in the neutral zone. It was awesome on Wednesday night, we live streamed that service and we have close to 2,000 views, people sharing it all over the place. And predominantly is people saying, thank you so much for saying something. I didn't know this. Thank you so much for telling us that. And then there's a few, boy, that's not cool, man. It's not cool what you're doing. (laughs) So listen, you have no problem with cunningly devised fables 
that if followed will damn souls to hell, but you take issue with someone in love saying, listen, you need to turn from this because this will damn your soul to hell. Let me point you to truth. Oh boy, I don't want to be called not cool, so I got to stay in the neutral zone. So say whatever you want. I'm going to give an account for God Almighty. But I'll tell you, the enemy brings that pressure. Don't do. Bury your gifts. Stay in the safe zone. It's safe right here. And the Lord says, listen, when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, you might think it's safe right here. But again, you're walking in sin. You're not abiding in Christ. You're quenching the Holy Spirit of God. You can't be in the neutral zone and expect to have, again, a fruitful life and the power of the Spirit of God abiding in you. He empowers us when we go out and we do. He empowers steps of faith. He does not empower lukewarmness. He does not empower when we say, I'm ashamed of the gospel. I don't want to offend anybody. I like to be accepted by them. I like when they invite me to places. I, think, I like when they think I'm a really neat guy. Now, hopefully, again, they like us because there's fruit in our life. And some folks are being drawn to the Lord. I'm not talking about, again, doing what God calls to do, which means rude and obnoxious and I'm going to spit on you. That's not what he's called us to do either. But we got to get it ingrained in our heart. If our measurement of our walk with the Lord is I don't do these things and it's not also I do do these things, that's problematic. Now lastly here, we'll close on these thoughts. Therefore him who knows to do good does not do it to him it's sin. Now maybe this is where someone step back. Okay, okay I, know how to, I know how to fudge the books here. If I stay as biblically illiterate as possible, I'll be okay because I can just say, I don't know. No, it doesn't work that way. Romans 2.15. Or actually Romans 2.12. For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And it goes on to talk about how the law of God's written on our hearts. It's like this. Listen, if you left church today. And you're like, we need to get out of here fast. And you're going down Portola Road about 70 miles per hour which I don't recommend. There's police officers sometimes down there, and I'm thankful that they're there because my kids go to church here, and so do your kids go to church here, and I don't like people speeding around here and out in the parking lot and so forth. It's a bad witness, and it's dangerous. Maybe that's a word for someone this morning. I don't know. <laughs> but if you're barreling down the road, down that hill 70, 65, and a cop pulls you over, you think pleading ignorance is going to get you off? I didn't know the speed limit was 35 here. I thought I was on a highway. Oh, you didn't know that? Okay. No, he's going to write you up a ticket, and rightfully so. And hopes to correct you so that no little children get ran over, or your dog, or your cat, or, you know what, whatever else it would be. And boy... Listen, we're putting ourselves a place of false hope and we're going to say, well, I'm just going to plead ignorance before God. Because one of the things he's called us to do is to grow in the understanding of who he is and his will for us. One of the things he's called us to do is to be in his word and then when we're word, in his word, go out and do what his word's called us to do. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, and you are, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free again. We're in his word, and when we abide in it, which is not in the neutral zone, 
abiding in it is going out and walking in it. There's a freedom. This is bondage right here. The neutral zone is bondage. It's spiritual ineptness. It's spiritual, again, just impotency. It is powerless. Life is found when you say, I'm going to step out of faith and I'm going to start doing. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to dig up my gifts and go out and I'm going to use them. There's a freedom found in that. You start living your life when you start saying yes to the Lord. And again, he's called us to be in the word. First Peter 2, 2, it talks about desiring the pure milk of the word that you'll grow by it. Isaiah 28 starts, talks about being weaned from that milk. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And first, or 2 Timothy 2.15 talks about studying to show yourself approved a worker. We see a growth here, right? From a baby to a toddler to a Christian teen, so to speak, spiritually, to I'm a worker. Men work. Grown women work. We go out and we work. We do what God's called us to do. And we grow in the word of God. We don't plead ignorance. We don't say, no, 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 no. I don't want to listen. I'm in the neutral zone here. And yet, sadly, many have a low view of the word of God today. And they even determine what's right or what's wrong based on fables, on fiction, on what they feel versus the word of God. We talked about that Wednesday night. It's prophecy being fulfilled. The time will come when they will turn away from sound doctrine and truth. They'll heap up teachers to tickle their ears and they'll listen to fables, fiction, what men make up about God. And that's why it's not a defense when false teaching comes into the church through something like the shack and people say, it's just fiction. Then get it off the end cap of the Christian bookstore, get it out of pulpits, quit using it for Christian counseling, and get it over in the New Age section with the Barnes and Noble where it belongs. But get it out of the house of God. Doesn't belong there. But it helped me. Yeah, why it damns your soul, the soul of your neighbor to hell. didn't help with anybody it's putting a band-aid on cancer so again God's called us to know what is good to grow in knowing what's good and then to go out and to do it to act on it I hope this morning listen we're gonna close in prayer here and worship I hope this morning that our hearts have been stirred I hope this morning that there's a there's a a stirring of even a fear of God here and, and as a loving parent. Maybe you have the fear of God and that I don't want to do that because I know there's chastisement in it. But that could be added on, I want to do this because, listen, I don't want that chastisement. I don't want to live in the neutral zone. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I want to serve the Lord. I want to honor Him. I think you're here today because that is what you want. And so let's close in prayer and ask God to help us in this because we need His help and He wants to help us in it. Amen. Let's stand up right now. Well, Heavenly Father, indeed, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you again for this day. And, you know, Lord, I hope and pray that our perspective of these things has broadened today. Lord, that we would really consider the fact that you are sinless, not in just what you didn't do, but in what you did. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your death and resurrection, the salvation afforded to all who call on the name of the Lord. And listen, if you haven't called upon Jesus today, you need to get born again today. It is time for you to humble your heart. It is time for you to turn from your sin, from the God that you are serving, to bend knee to Jesus Christ, 
to ask him to be the Lord of your life. Because listen, you're not afforded tomorrow. And who knows, this may be the last day that you even have ears to hear. The Bible says not to harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. Because listen, the point came where they did not hear any longer. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Who bends knee, humbles the heart, and asks Jesus to be the Lord of their life. That's not salvation through a prayer. It's salvation through faith in Him as your God. And that's not a small matter. And listen, He'll wash you. He'll cleanse you. He will begin a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, there's such temptation to stay in that neutral zone. Lord, build our faith today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Lord, let the word of God that has been proclaimed build faith in us today. We believe, help our unbelief. Can we say amen to that? Stir us, Lord. Show us, Lord, if there are areas where we are not doing what you've called us to do and help us, Lord, to begin to step out. Let us not just be about aimless conduct. Let our lives not just be about, again, being in this middle ground. We need your help in that. We need your aid in that. We need your empowerment in that. We need the endowment of the Holy Ghost from upon high. So please endow us with that power upon high. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Let's, let's, let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's, let's praise him as we, we close here this morning. Hope of his return.
Hey, a couple things as we close. The altar's going to be open up here. There's going to be people that would absolutely want to pray with you. If you gave your life to the Lord, I encourage you to come up. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands and your new walk with Jesus Christ. And then also out in the foyer, the materials we gave away on Wednesday night, they're all out there in the foyer, several booklets and pamphlets. I encourage you guys to grab those things, get yourself educated on that whole issue we talked about on Wednesday night. And listen, have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. I can hear.